It would actually help for me to have the mic on, too. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you, Garnet. Uh, I have a tendency to like empty buildings. I like walking in hallways without having to dodge anyone. Um, but this morning I got here a little early and I, I walked our small hallways and um, I had a reminder from the Lord that, that this form of worship is, is really a pitiable excuse for what the Lord means when he calls his people a church. Um, and church, is, it's not a building, it's not a place, it's not an organization, it, it's, it's a gathered people. Um, or as it's been said before, I wish I could quote who said this first, but the church is a people, not a steeple. And don't get me wrong, I, I mean, I, it's not like I didn't feel like I was home. This place uh, smells like home, it looks like home, it feels like home, uh, but, but, but the Lord didn't call me to shepherd a place. He, he called me to shepherd a people. And so I, I just want all of you, those that are listening from previous churches or those that are watching this for, for First Baptist Church of Toledo, I, I miss you. I don't like having an empty, empty room, but I, I really actually miss you, your faces, your voices, uh, various senses of humor, or my, my, my lack of humor and everybody's pity laughs. I, I, just, I just miss being with you guys. And so this, the, this, I'm glad for technology. I'm grateful that this is a grace of God, that we can, we can do this, that I can stare at a phone and have it broadcast over the internet. Um, but I miss being with you. And even this week, I tried to make phone calls to, to many of you, um, but even that felt like a poor excuse for spending time with you in person. So this, this, this is hard on us, and I can empathize with, with the hardness of it. Um, I also, uh, the, the slow pain, uh, the, the slow pains, the, the, the slow pace that, that this stay home, stay healthy order has, has done has actually uh, continued to reveal to me a besetting sin in me, so I want to apologize to you, but I, I've got to got to get new senses of my performance mentality and my my feeling of of, of people pleasing and and how I like to be liked, and I, I've 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 grown in those things, especially the last couple days. You know, I've, I've tried to grow social media presence, um, and that's a good thing, but but I have to keep questioning my heart. Why? Because I, it, I don't want to just look productive, but I, I want to do things that actually produce fruit for us. So that's, that's why we gather as a church, is to be stirred to, to love and good works. So I apologize for my performance, my sense of needing to perform, uh, and I ask that you would pray for me as your pastor, to, to, that, that I would keep looking to glorify Christ, um, that I would slow down my pace as he sees fit, and that I remember that my audience is him and nobody else. And that's kind of the blessing of an empty room. So I remember that I'm preaching to bring glory to our Lord and nothing else. So with my complaint and my apology out of the way, uh, just as a reminder, as the Lord moves to, uh, in you to continue in giving of your tithes and offerings to First Baptist Church of Toledo. 
uh, giving generously at a distance instead of in person. Uh, go ahead and mail your offerings. It's on the status post as well, but may or, mail them to P.O. Box 238, Toledo, Oregon 97391. Uh, and that includes an Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Um, if you'd like to give to that, again, Annie Armstrong was a missional living woman. See, not a missionary, but a missional living woman uh, who, who raised support for missionaries and, and going out into the frontiers of what is now the United States of America, also villages and towns. She was very focused on, uh, on growing the church. And that's what the Annie Armstrong Easter offering is for. So if you want to designate to that fund, just designate that on what you send in. Now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and read our revelation for the morning. It's Psalm 68, verses 1 through 7. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. It's a scary picture. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home, and we all feel very solitary right now. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness. Let's pray. Lord, we feel solitary. We are solitary. We're we're in a way trapped, but not really trapped. It's, we're, we're sequestered for protection from an invisible enemy. And Lord, I pray that today as we watch, as, as people watch the video, as, as they uh, dive into your word, that they would be full of worship of you because you are great. You're wonderful. May we praise you and keep our hearts set on you, even in this solitary time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and open up your Bibles. I'd say switch on your apps, but if you do that, it closes Facebook. So I hope you have a paper Bible. Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, last week we concluded... Um, we concluded Matthew chapter 3, which opened up Matthew chapter 4 for us. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, be our vision today. Be our high tower, our focus, our delight, our righteousness, our trust. Be all to us, Lord Jesus. May we have 10,000 reasons to praise you. Just in the midst of this text and the rest of our week as we focus on you. Amen. Uh, the temptation of Jesus. Um, we've all been tempted in big ways and small ways. And I, 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 I had the clever idea this week to go ahead and, and Google uh, some good sermon examples of temptation. And I promise you that's something you should never Google. Um, you don't get good things when you search the word temptation on the internet. I, I found that out, even, even with the word sermon in it. Uh, so I felt a little dumb, but in my innocence, I, uh, I learned what not to search. Um, but we've all been tempted in big ways and small ways. You know, we, we've been tempted to eat that extra piece of chocolate cake. Um, we've been tempted to maybe take some money from a cash register when we're working a job. Or maybe fudging numbers on a time card or spreadsheet make us look better. Uh, may, maybe, maybe we round up to the nearest decimal just, just so we, uh, we feel a little bit better about what, what we've been doing. Um, but temptation, temptation really, honestly, in general, displays something. Temp being tempted by anything, whether chocolate cake, uh, thievery, or, or, uh, or lying, it shows a dark side of our character and our nature. Um, it shows that we, 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 desire today, we desire for something that we don't have and that we're, we're important enough to want to sin, to want to take something selfishly um, in, instead, of, in, instead of not sinning. But I want to point out that temptation is not sin. Temptation is just the, the, the walking into sin. Uh, in our text today, we actually see Jesus, who, uh, who uh, he's tempted, but he doesn't sin. If there's anything that, we, that, that I want you to remember for today, it's that in these 11 verses, we see that Jesus is tempted, but he doesn't falter. He doesn't fail. This is where he proves he's not like us in terms of failing and falling into sin, but that he can empathize with us in our weaknesses. Um, this, this text is actually ripe with poetic storyline. Uh, it, it, it jumps you back to the Garden of Eden. It jumps you back to, to Genesis chapter 3, where, where you see the fall happen, where you see Satan tempt the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, and they jump at the opportunity to fail. 
Uh, they, 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 they don't, they don't, they don't just walk into walk through temptation. They, they dive into temptation and they fall into sin. So this whole text, again, it's, it's ripe with imagery. But I think if there's any very clear verse in this whole chapter, in, the, in this whole set of verses, um, it's going to have to be right in, right in verse 2, when we find out that Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. I mean, really, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and he's hungry. Um, we, we're, we don't know the specifics of what he was fasting from. We can, we can go the extreme route and say that he was fasting from all food. We can maybe say that he was pulling a Lent and he was fasting from chocolate. Uh, but but we, we know that he's been fasting and we know that his condition is that he's hungry. But what's so important about the 40, the 40 days and 40 nights? Uh, you, you see that all throughout scripture. Uh, you, you find you find the word, uh, the, the number 40. You find that, that it rained 40 days and 40 nights with Noah. You find that Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights uh, on M Mount Sinai. You, you, see, you see this all the time. And, and just, to, just to answer the question, what's so important about it um, here is that it's actually looking back to the time that Israel wandered in the desert. Uh, the, the nation of Israel, when they were rescued from Egypt, wandered for 40 years. God led them, actually, into the desert for 40 years. Just like we find in verse 1 that the Spirit, the Spirit of God, led Jesus into the wilderness for the 40 days and 40 nights. So you have this, this, this um, not fulfillment necessarily, but, but this link between these two moments. And then... Uh, you also find that Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy was written by Moses while they were wandering for 40 years. So these, these links are there to, to, to make you look back to the Old Testament, to make you look back and see that, that those were foreshadowings of Jesus himself. Because when you, when you read Exodus... And you get to the part where they're going to wander for 40 years. You're like, why? Why, for, why 40? Well, I mean, they, 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 that seems like such an odd number. It is. But here we get the answer to it. But we also see something that is not like Israel. Israel wandered for 40 years and they sinned constantly. They rebelled. You see that in Numbers 16 with Korah. Korah rebels because he wants to rule instead of Moses. You see, you see that the nation of Israel argues with Moses, who's their leader, argues with Moses so much that in Exodus 17, Moses actually names a rock quarreling, which means arguing. I mean, they, they, they wanted, they, Israel messed up. So we're a lot more like Israel than we are Jesus. And I want, I want you to understand that. We falter, we fail, we mess up, we would sin. If we were in this situation, we would sin time and time again and not just being led into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, I don't even think we can last 40 minutes without, with, without being tempted and most of the time probably falling into sin. So, Let's, before we dive into the particular temptations of Jesus, let's ask the question, how did Jesus do battle with temptation? 
Jesus was fully God. He was fully divine, but he was also fully man. Uh, that's, that's the importance of verse 2 when it says that, that he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. He had a, a, a body that was, that was frail like ours. We see it throughout the Gospels that Jesus slept, uh, that Jesus ate. He needed the nourishment. He needed the rest. He needed those things. So he was like us, and in that way he could be tempted. But Jesus still didn't sin. He wouldn't sin. He was impeccable. That's, a, that's an old-fashioned word uh, for, for Jesus. When we talk about the impeccability of Jesus, it, meant, it means that he was spotless. He was sinless. And if Jesus could be tempted, as we see here, again, he was led into, this, into the wilderness to be tempted. That was the purpose. He was led, in, led by the Spirit to be tempted by none other than the devil, by Satan himself. So if he could be tempted, but if he was sinless, then take heart. Temptation is not sin. So how did Jesus do battle with temptation? Um, I've, I've heard sermons on this, and they'll, they'll give you... They'll, uh, one pastor I had gave, gave the application that, hey, memorize scripture. Because if you memorize scripture, you can use it uh, you can use it as a weapon to battle temptation. And that's true. That's a very good application. But just memorizing scripture verses doesn't necessitate resistance of temptation. Um, I could tell you with broken heartedness of, of countless of my friends uh, in, who, who I knew as Christians but who revealed themselves to not be Christians later in life. They memorized Bible verses. Maybe they grew up in Awana. I became a Christian when I was 17. I avoided Awana. Um, I only saw note cards for it, and I volunteered once, and I couldn't handle it. Um, but but yeah, they memorized Bible verses left and right, but, but, but they were like guns with no ammunition. They knew the words, but they didn't, they didn't really know what it meant. So Jesus, when he battles temptation here, he actually battled temptation not, with, not just with memorizing scripture, not just with memorizing the words of scripture, he actually battled it with a stronger affection for the one who inspired the scripture. Um, why, 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 why are we tempted with sin? Well, it's because we don't think God loves us enough to provide us what we think we need. That's, that's essentially temptation. We want something we do not have, and we do not trust God to give us what we actually need. But Jesus, he had a perfect trust in his father. He loved his father more than he wanted to be satisfied by anything else. See, sin does satisfy, but it's temporary. It, it, doesn't, actually, it doesn't actually really satisfy what's, what's truly needed but God does satisfy with an eternal satisfaction. So Jesus had that perfect trust in his Father, the unending trust. When we sin, honestly, most of the time, we're just telling God he's not doing a good enough job. But Jesus knew that his Father was going to do exactly what he needed. May we gain that affection for God as our Father, that we... We resist temptation by knowing that he's good. 
And Jesus also saw that his true nourishment was in knowing what his father said uh, perfectly, which includes his promises of provision. Um, I, I worked at Lifeway. Uh, I, wor- I worked at the, the, the primary Southern Baptist retail store. Um, it, when, when it was a store, when you actually had a storefront, the, uh, we, we had Bible verses everywhere. They, they were on plaques. They were on, um, on artwork. I mean, one, of, one that comes to mind was, uh, was a picture of an eagle. And at the bottom of the picture, it just had a, a Bible verse plastered onto it. But, but just looking at that verse didn't actually do anything. Even if I read the verse, if I understand the verse and I don't understand its surrounding context, I might understand just like a portion of it. It's like going to Costco and just eating the samples. It's not a real meal unless you go to every single sample cart, then it's a meal. But if you just take the samples, man, you, you, don't, you don't get enough. You got you to gotta know all of it in context. So Jesus had this deep and abiding affection and love and trust of his father, but he also knew what his father said and what his father meant. He knew. And that's what we need to do. If we want to battle temptation, if we want to, if we want to actually use scripture properly, then we need to understand properly what scripture says. So when you look at these three temptations, you see that all three of them have an inherent distrust in God's provision. Satan, when he brings them, he, 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 tries to, he tries to drive a wedge, and his tactics have not changed. Satan is a mighty, mighty soldier, but Jesus is a mightier savior. That's why he prevails. Uh, one temptation, the first one, is to satisfy a hunger. The next one is to... Um, is to, to, to um, presume, there we go, I could not think of the word, to presume on his father's protection. And the third uh, has a twofold problem. It tries to drive a wedge and it, 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 um, it tries to bring glory to another, which we're prone to do. So let's actually look at the, uh, the, the temptations of Jesus and see how he handled them and what, what he meant. Again, he's hearkening back to Deuteronomy in these. So if you really want to read a book that's going to help you, it's Deuteronomy. It means second law. If, if you want to be like Jesus, go ahead and memorize the second law. I'm just kidding. Um, so how was Jesus tempted? Well, the first temptation comes in verse 3. Uh, and the tempter, Satan, came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, see that, see that right there? If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Well, Jesus was hungry. We find that in the, very, the, the verse right before it. So to turn stones into bread would have been to doubt and despair his father's goodness and care of him. See, Jesus, Satan was trying to get Jesus to do for him what God was going to do in his, or his father was going to do in his own time. Even though Jesus was hungry, he was still eating. We find that in his response. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus was still being nourished, but he was being nourished in his time with his father. But Satan was trying to take advantage of Jesus' condition. He's 
trying to take advantage of his hunger, to cause him to think that God wasn't really taking care of him. Maybe Jesus should take care of himself. Have you ever been tempted to try and control your circumstance? God isn't working fast enough. I'm going to do this myself. Or he, God isn't doing it the way I want it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it happen the way I want. When we do that, when we think that, it's not necessarily a problem. We take it to the Lord in prayer. But when we actually act on that, when we sin, we've surrendered. We've surrendered to temptation and, and, and sinned. So Jesus was tempted to take control of his own circumstances. Don't try to take control of your own circumstances. Lean on the Lord's providence. It doesn't mean be inactive. It doesn't mean be passive. Jesus was living on the, every word that was coming out of the mouth of God. He knew his Father's promises. But don't, don't try to control your circumstances. Don't try to force something to happen that's, that the Lord is preventing from happening. Maybe it's just now. Maybe it'll come up another time. The second temptation uh, is, is kind of a funky one to me. The devil took him to, to the holy city, verse 5, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle meaning the top, the best part, best part of the temple. Put him on it. And then he says, if you are the son of God, again, there's that, command, or that, uh, that, that um, insult there. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So the first temptation is trying to, trying, to, trying to change, Jesus trying to change his circumstances. And the second one is odd. Go ahead and jump off this high building. Hey, you know what? God's word says that uh, his angels will protect you, and they're, they're not going to let you come to harm. Listen, to jump off a building for, for Jesus or for you and presume on God's protection is blind foolishness, not faith. Jesus definitely had faith in his father's protection and care. I mean, that's, that's why he resisted the first temptation. Uh, Jesus was sure, he was confident even, that his father was providing for him. But to jump off a building would just be stupid. I mean, just, just think about that. Hey, why don't you, uh, I, mean, I mean, there's the old adage, you know, hey, if all your friends were jumping off a bridge, would you jump too? Well, Jesus didn't have any friends jumping off bridges. That's the, the adage doesn't really work there, but, but it's just dumb. I mean, you, that's the point of the adage. It's stupid to do things just, just, just stupidly. It's like uh, another example would be like jumping into a cage with a starving tiger. Or, or, or covering your eyes and running onto a busy freeway. Just presuming that God will protect us when we do it. It's just, it's just dumb. It's, it's just ultimately dumb. So this one, this one to me doesn't really make much sense. I wouldn't necessarily be tempted to jump off a building because I would think, hey, God's going to protect me. But um, I have made rash decisions without prayer. I, I have thrown my hands up and, and surrendered to my circumstances, gotten frustrated, and, and done dumb things before. So for that, I can understand. 
Listen, when you when 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 you decide that you're going to just go ahead and and tally ho forward, uh, soldier on as the as the British like to say, um, and and not stop to examine what God is doing in your life, then that's that that's that's going to be the sin that you fall into. That's more like this one. But Satan, Satan was trying to get Jesus to trust in uh, in in unseen powers. Satan was trying to get Jesus to just rest in this, uh, this fact, hey, you know what? God's got a plan for your life, and there's no changing it. You can just move about without even considering your actions. But Jesus knows better. He knew better. What does he say? He said, again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 7. Are you testing the Lord? If so, it's probably sinful. Repent. It's, it's okay to test yourself, to examine your heart, to examine your motives. It's not okay to say, hey God, if you are real, that's not okay. It's okay to even say, God, if this is your will, make it clear. That's okay. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is... Satan's basically trying to get Jesus to test his father's plan. Like, are you really going to do this? But Jesus ain't falling for it. We fall for this stuff all the time, but Jesus ain't falling for it. Praise God he ain't falling for it. Uh, this last temptation it has, has, like I said, a twofold problem. Um, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. Really, did he show him all the kingdoms? No, but it's a panorama view. I mean, just, just think about that. Like, if you're on a high mountain and you're looking down, everything looks like, you know, they're ants. So what, he's, what, what that means is, is that he's seeing all the kingdoms, their glory. He sees these cities. It looks beautiful. And verse 9, and Satan said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. I wish that worked. Anyway, uh, so, so this, this temptation, if Jesus were to fall to the temptation, the problem is twofold. One, it, Satan is really trying to drive a wedge between the Son and the Father the way he did between Adam and God. It, it would have been sin for Jesus to worship Satan. Why? Because then God would not be in agreement with himself. Think of the Greek myths. I, 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 don't, I don't presume to think that you've read the Greek myths, but you've heard of them. The gods are always at war. They're always fighting. There's all this, this fa these family squabbles. Uh, why? Because they don't agree. They don't agree, and they want to be in control. It turned into, with the, the way that it played out practically in, in Roman culture, was that the gods had their different provinces. Like, hey, they, you know, we're, we have, uh, have, have Aphrodite as our goddess. Uh, we have Zeus as our god. So that's the way it played out. But, but, but God, truly God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Trinity, um, they're always in agreement. The son, even with his humanness, was always in agreement with the father. We sin like this when we decide that we know better than God. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, God, I know better than you? Maybe not 
verbally, but probably with your actions. I know I have. I have a lot. Uh, basically, basically, it's when we decide to conform God to our thoughts instead of conforming our thoughts to God. Again, here's that in-context importance. When we can state God's attributes, he's, uh, even, a, even a handful of them, God's omnipresent, omnipotent, um, and omniscient. He's, he's all, excuse me, all present, all powerful, all knowing. If I can state those three things, but I can't really tell you how God is like that, I can't, I can't actually show you in the Bible what that means, then I, I, I'm, I'm kind of conforming God, the concept of God, to my thoughts, as opposed to really looking for those attributes within Scripture. So when we don't agree with God, it would be as if, Jesus had decided to worship Satan and not be in agreement with his father. Also, Jesus worshiping Satan would have, would have been sin for a reason that's actually, actually a lot closer to home for us. Um, it, it would have been to rob his father of his due glory. Um, have you ever robbed God of his glory? Have you, have, you, have, you ever, uh, have, have you ever decided to glory in yourself when you shouldn't have? Maybe something amazing happened. Maybe you got a promotion at work. Um, and, and it's all you. Maybe, maybe God is a footnote. Oh, yeah, and praise God, by the way. Instead of actually in prayer thanking God, for him maybe giving you the skill or, or, or the, the ability to get promoted at work. When I worked at Lifeway, I became what's, what was called a key holder. Uh, it was a weird way of saying you're kind of like the third man in charge. Like the totem pole is retail, uh, retail associate, key holder, assistant manager, manager, and then corporate branches above that. So I, you know, I, I got promoted to key holder, which meant that I got to step up one step and you know, man, I was proud. I had worked hard. And I loved that job. That was a great job. I got to minister to a lot of people in that job. Um, but, uh, but man, if, if I didn't want to glory in myself, look at how hard I worked. I did such a great job. I got promoted. I got a key now. I'm a holder of a key. I'm a key holder. That's all it means. You get a key to the store. Um, but I, 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 I knew better, and I fought my sin in that. I fell into temptation a lot. I got really prideful. It's what, it's, what, it's what we do. But I didn't promote myself. God was the one that set me up to get a promotion. So you didn't convert that person that you gave the gospel to. You didn't barely make that turn when you were going too fast, and you, you went up to the bend, and you missed the sign that said 35 miles an hour and you didn't slow down, you didn't make that turn. You didn't catch that, um, catch that ball on the field. You, you didn't plan out your garden just right and have, have the planter fall in just the right spot by your power. God was kind to you. Did you acknowledge him for it? Did you praise him for it? Otherwise, we rob God of his glory. And I am sorry, there, there, there's a lot of rebuke here. Why? Because Jesus didn't falter the way we do. 
The, this, the, the summary of this sermon is Jesus does not falter in the face of temptation, satisfying our need of a Savior who is unlike us in our failures, but empathizes with us in our weakness. So with all the, the, the rebuke and the, the calling out that I've done here, I, I want to give you a little bit of encouragement too. Uh, we have to see the heinousness of our sin. When we, when we fall, unlike Jesus, unlike Jesus, when, when, when we try to control our circumstances or when we, when, we, when we presume on God's providence or when we give glory to someone other than God when he deserves it, when we do these three, these three sins, we need to see that we failed. And we need to feel the shame and the guilt of that only so that we can see the beauty of forgiveness when we give that shame and that guilt to Jesus. Because unlike Adam, who brought the curse of sin, who fell into temptation and fell into sin, Jesus didn't. He was perfect. So two encouragements I want to give you. And I, I, I want you to really, really remember these. Temptation is not sin. But sin occurs when we eat the meal that temptation promises. It's an empty promise. When we're tempted to sin, it's an empty promise. And we know better. We know better, man, but we, we dive right on into that buffet so often, don't we? James 1.13 to 18 says this. James writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. We see that here. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by who? By the devil. God does not tempt, and he himself tempts no one. James 1, uh, continuing in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's how we feel when we sin. That's how we should feel, as if we've murdered our relationship with God. Continuing in verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I love that, how birth, uh, conception, giving uh, desire, conceiving, and then giving birth to sin is the example that's used because it, it, it's so accurate. You feel it in your heart. You feel when you're tempted and then, and then it, it just, it, it, it's like it grows and then it explodes forth into sin. But then the other picture again is that God is constantly giving you goodness. He's feeding you with the word of his truth. God's word is the only feast that's ever going to have us fight sin. Don't, don't settle for the fast food of temptation uh, when you could have the banquet of God's word. And the second, the, I'm, the second, the second uh, <laughs> encouragement I want to give you is that what, what we read here is that Jesus was tempted. Again, Jesus was fully man and fully God, but he was still, he was still able to be tempted. 
He just didn't give in. Jesus then is able to sympathize with us in our weakness and our temptation. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, let, let, uh, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in, to help in time of need. Are you in time of need? Are you being tempted by sin? Draw near to that throne of grace. The Old Testament had uh, people holding on to the horns of bulls to pass on the sins of the people, uh, pass on the sins of themselves, and the high priest would do this for the people, pass on their sins, their shame, their guilt onto the bull, but Jesus, Jesus does the same thing for us. We don't have to grab the bull by the horns to, to pass on that shame. Jesus can sympathize with you. He's not a cow. He's not unknowing of our problems. He was a man. He knows your problems. Draw near to the throne of grace. So, reread this text. Think of yourself in those situations and realize that you, you fail in the ways that Satan tempts. Recognize that his tactics haven't changed, but we are going to fail. Jesus doesn't. Jesus didn't. Jesus never failed. He never sinned. He was impeccable. And he sympathizes with you. Fight temptation with it when it comes, but fight it by knowing his word. Really, truly knowing it. You'll grow in your love of God more than you can ever imagine that way. Let's close in prayer and then we'll sing a song and we'll dismiss. Lord, we sin. We falter, we fail, we mess up. We, 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 we need to repent, but you never, never needed to repent. You are perfect. We are not. Let us see in, in, in comparison to your defeat of sin. Let us see our sinfulness, but let us also turn to you the one who sits on that throne of grace in delight of the fact that you forgive us. Adam is the one who brought our sin, but you're the one who relieves it. Thank you, Lord. May we praise you for that. Amen. This week, as you're socially distanced and isolated and probably tempted to despair. Um, that song was written by Fanny Crosby. Look her up. She was, she was a person who should have despaired, should have fallen into despair, and yet she had joy that she wrote such a song as that. Uh, but as you're tempted to despair, as you're tempted to sin, as, you're, um, as, as you battle temptation, seek the Lord. Delight in him. And uh, if you think you're without sin, if you've got kids, just ask the kids. You know, hey, have I, have I sinned? It's a good opportunity to explain what sin is. But, 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 but ask them if you've sinned. And guaranteed they'll tell you, 
how you've sinned and a way to repent. It's the beauty of children. If you don't have kids, that's what your spouse is for. If you don't have a spouse, read your Bible. I'm just kidding. You should do that anyway. But be blessed, folks. God bless.